Good morning. Good morning. I don't know if I'm on. You guys hear me? Good morning. Hey, guys, you guys start that clock back there. My clock up here is broken. Apparently the youth were in here the other night. There were missiles and projectiles and things flying around here. It was quite a violent evening. A lock-in, that's what we call those things. It should be a lock-up. It ought to be. That's right. They killed Evan. You don't even see him, see? He's buried in here somewhere as far as we know. <laughs> well, welcome this morning. We're going to continue to study that we've been opening the year with. If you guys are following along, we are, we are studying through the Lord's Prayer, but, but from a little bit different perspective, not just from the angle of we need to pray this content or this needs to, to be the stuff that's in our prayer life, but the real help that this series is after is to make us to prioritize certain things in our lives need to be priorities. We need to know certain things. I want to say we, we need to be experts in certain things. And if Jesus taught his disciples to set their attention and to focus on certain things, and he didn't highlight some other things, and it makes these extremely important matters for us to be spending some time in and being devoted to and being an expert in. And so we've come to the end of this prayer, and we are going to land in the place of Jesus instructing his disciples to pray this at the end of the prayer, deliver us from evil, right? Now, if you're following the, the news headlines these days, we are very much aware of evil. Earlier, about a week ago, I guess, news headlines from Kalamazoo, Michigan sounded like this. An Uber driver admitted his involvement in a Saturday night shooting rampage that left six people dead and two others injured. The county prosecutor said on Monday as a driver was formally charged with murder. But the motive of the man, who had no criminal history, remained a mystery. New details emerge about the victim's ordinary people with no connection to Mr. Dalton, enjoying a simple, pleasured afternoon and evening unseasonably warm day they were talking and walking eyeing cars at a dealership outside a cracker barrel restaurant a makeshift memorial and yellow caution tape marked the site where four women were shot dead and a teenage girl seriously injured It'd be nice to say that it's that's a rare event isn't it it's not a rare event anymore as a matter of fact we didn't even escape this one week until out of little heston Kansas, population 3,709, came these headlines. Authorities said four people were killed and 14 wounded in shootings spanning from Newton to Excel Industries in Heston. Officers first responded around 5 p.m. Thursday to the report of a man firing at other vehicles from his vehicle. County Sheriff T. Walton said one driver was shot before the gunman continued driving to Highway 81 where he shot another person. A short time later, an active shooter was reported at XL Industries. Quote, he chased some office people. He just started spraying everybody in the production area. Fifteen people were shot inside the business. Everybody thinks it can't happen here. But it's in those places where it can't happen that it happens, Walton said. you got to wake up because it can happen. 
Right? We've got too many of these incidences occurring that have, that have sort of come to us in a way that, you know, I don't even attend the movie the same way anymore, right? You know, I've, I've watched the people who walk in. You know, what does it look like? Is that guy by himself? Does he look a little disturbed? Where's the exit? You know, how do you get out of this room? Did you ever think you'd be thinking that way when you walked into a public setting? But yet that's the world that we're living in. And so one of the things that drew just in my prayer time for us as a church, uh, concluding the year, was a concern and a need that I felt from the Lord that we needed to address this category of evil. Not because I think that we are living in a version of the world that's more evil than any other version of the world, historically. I don't know that that's true. But what I do know is true is you and I are being informed about more evil today than we've ever been informed about. So we're aware of evil at an enormous level. And so news from places like Kalamazoo and Heston are joined to news items from the Middle East and terrorist attacks in Paris and things in San Bernardino and memories of New York City. And all around us, evil has made a huge, loud noise very close to home for us. And it's captured our attention and it has me concerned for the effect of so much evil coming into our awareness. And when we become aware of things, we pay attention to it. We engage it at some level. So it affects our faith. It affects our soul. It affects whether you feel safe or not. It affects how you feel about your life. And those things are important. And we get to the end of this prayer here, and Jesus turns our attention in this concluding moment to this phrase, deliver us from evil. That's how he's going to conclude this. J.I. Packer says about the Lord's Prayer, he says, the vision of life in God's family, which we learn from the Lord's Prayer, has three dimensions. It is a life of devotion, of dependence, and of danger. Deliver us from evil is a plea for protection in the face of danger that threatens. Right, so this, this great prayer puts priorities into our life. There are priorities of devotion. You and I are to be aware that we are creatures called to be devoted. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It, it's, a, it's a relationship of devotion and an earnest desire in our hearts toward him. And then Jesus moves this prayer into the realm of us being dependent. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I'm, I'm to be aware that the God that I'm devoted to is also the God that I'm dependent on. Now listen, one of the great disservices that living in a wealthy country does to us is it convinces us that we don't have needs. But we do have needs. Even if we got some money in our pocket, you know, money doesn't erase needs. Right? There's not a person here who can buy longer days of their lives. You're going to die when you're going to die. We can't find cures for everything. And, and new diseases are popping up. 
So at some point, you and I come to recognize we are creatures in need of something from God. And then this, this prayer turns into a realm of sin and issues of forgiveness and temptation that's out there. Temptations that we read in the Bible that lead to death and destruction in our lives. They give birth to that. So it's a temptation that starts off, says, let's make a deal. Hey, you interested in this? And if you can just fast forward the tape, you, you see over here it's going to end in death. And then it concludes with deliver us from evil. So I don't know if you've thought about this, but yours is a dangerous life. It is a life of devotion. It's a life of dependence, but it's a life of danger. And perhaps never like now have we become aware of this danger. And I wrote this in your outline. It says, there are some destructive and demoralizing and deflating and despairing consequences to our living in the shadow of evil and not being adequately informed and prepared to face it. We need to be experts in the Bible's teachings on evil lest we become terribly vulnerable to having our faith drained from us as we stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the evil days in which we live. These headlines, they're not going away. If you're waiting for a day when we stop hearing news of evil, well, that, that's not coming until heaven. This prayer is relevant. Evil will come to our lives, and we will have to pray for God to deliver us from it. Os Guinness wrote a book called Unspeakable. kind of traces out some of the his history of evil and its impact on humanity. In the book, he says, Is there anything harder to face and figure out than evil? Evil is quite simply the most serious problem in human life, the most serious problem in the contemporary world, and the most serious problem for our deeper human resort in life, our trust in God. He goes on later in the book and says, the plain fact is that all does not go well for all human beings. Most of us are well aware that life is full of evil and suffering, that none of us is immune, and that faith provides no exception. Can you just read that last line again to yourself? Faith does not provide an exception to evil and suffering. Now, can you, can you take that in for a second? Because there's something in hearing the good news. There's something in hearing the gospel that makes us feel like, if I sign on for this, this is this rescue message. This is going to rescue me. And I begin to conclude that it will rescue me from everything. And so into the world I go, and I become a Christian at some point in my life, and now I've got God on my side, and I'm on his side, and I'm on the, the right side of belief, and, and I'm now tracking with what's good, and I'm living my life that way. And so I can start to believe that I am now becoming more and more exempt from evil and suffering. then when evil shows up at your door, your guard is down, you are unprepared, 
and you stop preparing for it because somewhere we read some small print that's really not there, thinking that if I became a Christian, if I followed Christ, if I did things that honored God, if I obeyed God, well, then, then evil would, would, would not show up in my world anymore, or at least at a hugely diminished level. But it is the Lord teaching his disciples to pray this prayer. Why would he be telling them, deliver us from evil, if evil is no longer going to be a factor in their lives? It's going to be a factor in our lives. So today, I'm going to actually unpack this, this concept of evil over a couple of weeks. For some reason, in some way, it's the reason why we're in the Lord's Prayer. It's just my concern and burden for us to be able to live in a world that is advertising and, and, and pushing evil in front of us in a destructive way in our own hearts. Uh, just concerned that we would be well informed. So today, uh, we're going to look at a biblical understanding of evil. We're going to install some vocabulary, and we're going to trace this great pandemic, the origin and spread of evil. And then we'll look at some other dimensions next week. Let, let's first visit a biblical vocabulary for evil. And this is a good lesson. Most of you guys will remember when you were a kid, if your kids come home from school or they've got books, and they're going to read a new story. Right? Do you remember how the new story always started with vocabulary words? Right? And of course, your teacher made you write them X number of times and look them up or whatever it was that they did. Because for you to get the story, you had to have these words on board. Right? You have to understand these vocabulary words if you're going to read this story and track with what it's saying. Right? Well, that's still true for us today. If you're going to get what the Bible has to say about life, you're going to need some vocabulary words. You're going to need this word called evil if you're going to try and understand what is going on in this world. But we've got to raise a question here. Whatever happened to the word evil? All these news reports, I don't hear anybody using the word evil. I mean, there's problems, there's concerns. But there's no evil anymore. You just don't hear that word a whole lot. Right? And there's books out there. They're, they're good books to read as well. The Vanishing Conscience was a book. I think John MacArthur wrote that book. Because the conscience of humanity is vanishing. It's like we're losing all sense of internal right and wrong in our lives. Back in the 70s, a man wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Sin. Back in the 70s, he was writing that. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't know how many volumes you could like Encyclopedia Britannica you could be publishing that today, Whatever Happened to Sin. Interesting thought from another book called Whatever Happened to Good and Evil. This is by a philosophy professor. He raises this issue as he takes on this in his philosophy course. He says, here's, here's a line I often hear. Goodness, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. If I think something is good, it is. If you think it's bad, it is. Personal opinion is the measure of morality. To suppose that there are moral standards independent of such opinion, well, that's just wishful thinking or an expression of arrogance. Clearly, morality is something that we made for ourselves. Others have, some, have come to different conclusions about how to live their lives. Who are we to say that they are mistaken? Right, that is the modern way of thinking, right? 
Two people can look at the same thing. One of them can say, hey, that's good. And the other person can say, no, that's bad. And both of them can be right. This is a mysterious world we live in, isn't it? Well, is evil a construct of culture? Does evil change with time? What's evil today? Was it evil 10 years ago? What was evil for your grandparents? Is it still evil today? Or times have changed. Come on, man, get enlightened. Morality adjusts and things like evil, well, that changes over time, doesn't it? Or does it not? How, how do we use this word, evil? How do we understand it? It's interesting, I was... Gina and I were watching a, a program a couple of weeks ago. It was an interview with the mother of uh, Dylan Klebold, the young boy who went to Columbine High School and just violently shot up the school and the students that were there. And in the interview, they were interviewing other people as well. They interviewed a counselor who was involved with the school at that time and all the difficulties they were going through. And the interviewer asked the counselor this question, out of the blue, do you believe in evil? The woman paused for a long time. She said, well, evil has to do with spiritual things, and, and I don't go there. Uh, well, that was very educational because you're a counselor who's trying to take people by the hand in light of this event that just took place, and you're going to try and bring some kind of information, that's all we do, whether you're a counselor, doctor, whatever your specialty, you're going to bring some kind of information to them that tries to sort through life and make sense of this thing. So you've got all these dead classmates in this horrific, out-of-the-blue activity that took place, and you're going to try and explain it to people so they can go on in life and you don't have this vocabulary word operating in you. Evil. So then the question is, what was that? And where did it come from? And how do we deal with it? Well, apparently, you can not have the word evil and fix all that. Well, at least that's what the world's trying to do, right? Listen, uh, times are changing. Culture is changing, trends are changing, but, but as, as a Christian, we're not called to be trendy. We're not called to consult the latest Twitter feeds and figure out, do we sound like that? Does, does my understanding sound like something that, that this Twitter-based group can go with? Or are we called to be faithful to something else? Something that transcends time something that stands outside of a moment or opinions of people. Now listen, when I, when I come to the Bible and I say, if I want to understand what happened at Columbine, or if I want to understand the events that took place in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I, I'm going here to understand what is going on. Now listen, I'm going here, let me say, I'm going to say this this morning, N not under the shadow of fundamentalist preacher in America who, you know, fundamentalist preacher, you know, God knows how many problems those people have. 
just buried their head in the sand and just inherited some goofy ideas from past when people, you know, no modern technology, riding around on horses, wrote some ideas down and still are like Puritans running around with these crazy outdated ideas. And this guy probably puts vowels on the ends of all of his words uh, when he speaks uh, and he's so out of touch. All right, that's, you know, welcome to the world. Okay, I, no, I, I'm not saying that I go to this book as a fundamentalist preacher. I go to this book as an engineer. You guys know I'm an engineer by degree, right? I go to this book as an engineer because when I look out at the world, I see a broken world. It doesn't work. It's falling apart. It's doing stuff that you've got to wonder, was it supposed to do that? And was it supposed to do that? And was it supposed to do that? Now, I don't know how you are, because I'm, you know, engineering-minded. When stuff doesn't work, I go try and find the owner's manual, right? I regularly visit the owner's manual in anything. I can't stand when my kids or somebody throws it away. They're there for a reason. The smart guy who invented that thing wrote down the instructions for how to use it. So I want to go back, and I want to find the original ideas, The God who designed this, because everything that exists was made by a creator, an inventor, the originator of it all. He wrote down explanations in here as for why things are what they are. And so if I want to understand evil, I, I need to go here to find out what God has to say about evil. Now, here's what you're going to find. There's, there's this vocabulary in the Bible. There is this massive, what I will call, labeling system in the Bible, right? I mean, the Bible's just running around throwing labels on all kinds of stuff. You know, the little label machines, you know? Everything's kind of got labels getting thrown all over life and behavior and activities. It gets labeled. But here's the unique thing you've got to figure out about the Bible. The Bible is not subject to nor controlled by modern ways of thinking. It escapes that. So it, it has no sense that it's, it's trying to figure out how to validate everyone's opinion. Today, politicians, anybody setting up any form of idea is trying to validate all forms of opinion that are out there or trying to give off the air of being tolerant. It's like we're obligated. Whatever you're going to say, it has to feel like it's tolerating everything else. Can I just tell you the Bible is not trying to do either one of those things. It's not trying to validate everybody's opinion. It's just, it's just having an opinion. Period. It's not trying to figure out how you're going to feel when you bump into the opinion, whether it was said too harshly, whether it's out of touch, out of date. Do you understand the Bible doesn't care about that at all? The Bible's not trying to be tolerant. I know our culture is. I know if you're going to speak, I mean, that's what you do. Preachers speak on life. We speak on behavior. We speak on things that we do. And does that sound tolerant enough? I don't know that this book is ever trying to sound tolerant. It's trying to sound clear. It's trying to say what truly is true. And it's not saying, well, we really can't say that because that doesn't sound right to the ears. We can't say that. We can't go there. The Bible's never obligated in that direction. It just speaks and it just reveals and it creates these labels for things so that you have this labels like darkness and light. The Bible jumps into our world and says, 
that's darkness, that's darkness, that, that's light, that's darkness, he's darkness. The Bible just comes out and does that. The Bible takes out labels like righteous and unrighteous and starts flinging it all over the place. That right, that's unrighteous, that's unrighteousness, that's righteous. This over here is righteous, that's unrighteous. It uses labels like wicked. It's a good old-fashioned word, isn't it? Don't use that word anymore. Wicked. The word wicked in the Bible is used three over 300 times. Stuff gets labeled wicked. Attitudes and behaviors. And people are told they're wicked in the Bible. Good and evil. The Bible doesn't have a problem coming out and saying, that's good and that's evil. The Bible's not trying to find the good in everything. Right? This sounds like... I don't know, like, like bad parenting tips or something. You know, it's like, well, you just got to try and find the good in everything. Do you know the Bible's not trying to find the good in everything? Have you opened it up and read it? It finds good. As a matter of fact, the mo- one of the sharpest rebukes came when somebody picked up the word good and misused it. And Jesus rebuked them for using the word good. He didn't rebuke anybody for using the word evil. He rebuked them for using the word good. <laughs> Now, the word evil is used over 500 times in Scripture. So all over the place, stuff is getting this stamp put on it, evil, boom. That guy right there, come over here, stand closer, boom, evil. That's evil, you're evil, this is evil, all over the place. Whether you like that term or not. So if you want to understand life, you've got to understand some of the vocabulary that's in the Bible. There's a very important line. Judges chapter 2, verse 11 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Who gets to define what's evil? Well, the Lord does. It's not a construct of culture. It's something that the Lord sticks a label on and describes it as evil. But the only hope you and I are going to have in dealing with and understanding evil is if we get our vocabulary right. right J.I. Packer says this very interesting thought. He says, it's hard to have right thoughts about the devil, or I'd say or about evil, if our thoughts of God are false, our thoughts of the devil will be false too. For instance, if with many, we should imagine God as every man's heavenly uncle. A person whose job is to help us achieve our selfish desires for irresponsible fun and carefree comfort. We shall think of Satan as merely a cosmic sourpuss whose sole aim is to thwart our plans and spoil our pleasures. But this is really no nearer to the truth about Satan than the celestial Santa Claus idea is to the truth about God. See, if your vocabulary about God is wrong, your vocabulary about evil will be wrong. If you, to the degree that you don't know God, then you can't come up with even a ballpark estimate as to what is good and what is evil. That's why Jesus rebukes the person who comes up to him and says, good teacher. Well, were they wrong? Is he not a good teacher? Well, he didn't rebuke them because they were wrong. He rebuked them because they were ignorant. They used a term they had no idea what they were using. How can can you treat Christ one way and still use terminologies like good? Because good gets its definition from the person of Christ. 
So if you don't get him, then you don't get good either. And if you use the term, you're misusing the term. Because there's no definition for good and evil without God. But where, where does evil come from? Let's, let's trace this great pandemic back. Let's see if we can find the origin and spread of evil. Have you, have you noticed in the news lately the, the Zika virus you know, has gotten a lot of attention? So now what they're doing, because this is how you're going to combat the Zika virus, is to go find out where's the origin of this thing. How does it get started? How does it get transmitted? Who's caught it? What's the impact and the effect? So they're trying to understand the nature of this Zika virus. So they've sent people to Brazil that are interviewing. People are trying to find ground zero, right, for where this pandemic began so we can figure out how to respond to it. Well, same thing is true for us in dealing with evil. We're going to have to find some ground zero here. Where does evil come from so we can understand how to respond to it? Well, what is evil? Well, it is certainly behavior. The Bible labels behavior as evil. It is certainly attitudes. You can have an evil intention in your heart, evil desires, so it's attitude. It's actions. You can take action on those beliefs, and they would be called evil. But let me install something today that if we're going to really trace the Bible's description of evil, uh, it is a personality-driven it is driven by a particular personality. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that's translated, deliver us from evil, is in many translations translated, and you may have this translation, deliver us from the evil one. This one Greek word means both. And so it's almost hard to differentiate, well, we're talking about evil, are we talking about the evil one, or are we talking about evil? Yes, you are. Sidney Page in the book Fallen says, how should the presence of evil in our world be understood? Can it be explained simply on the basis of imminent factors or does it have a transcendent dimension? In addition to the evil wrought by people and what is sometimes called natural evil, the Bible speaks of supernatural perpetrators of evil. Chief among these is Satan, who's referred to as the evil one a dozen times in the New Testament. He appears as the epitome of evil in the pages of Scripture, but he does not stand alone. Allied with him are many other evil spirits who share his nature and do his bidding. All right, so when I throw out the idea that there's this thing out there called evil, listen, you and I don't come in contact, even from the beginning, from, from the moment that Pandora's evil box got opened up and evil made its debut into this world. This is how that story begins. It doesn't even begin apart from this creature. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, this is how evil gets introduced to us. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And down the road of temptation we go. You and I don't even get introduced to evil without being introduced to this creature in Scripture known as the devil. And then that continues to be the case, right? Acts chapter 26, all the way into the New Testament, the apostle Paul being sent with the gospel into the world. God says, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness 
to light and from the power of Satan to God. So listen, when, whether you were aware of it or not, when you came to know Christ, your repentance involved a turning from the power of Satan. It wasn't just, you know, and because most of us identify with this. I was doing some bad stuff. I was into some bad things. You know, God came in and cleaned up my language and my this and my that. That's behavior, right? And we almost like God fixed some behavior. The Bible says when you turn to God, you actually turn from the power of Satan to God. Now, personally, you may not have been trucking with that, but that's what was actually going on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Right. So not only dead in activity of sins, you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So it's just not sin, some list of behaviors that we turn from. It's a being. It's a personality. It's a powerful influence that exists in our world. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Same word, poneros. is there as it is in Matthew chapter 6. So this is, this is evil with a personality. And there's a relationship between evil and the devil that is always connected. So when you and I talk about evil, that, that counselor lady was right. Evil is a spiritual word. And you and I have to come to grips with, do we live in a spiritual world or not? Well, consider with me for a second. What impact does it have on us? When we begin to associate evil deeds with an evil overlord, with a personality, with a being that has personage. Well, a couple of thoughts. One, it puts human existence back into a spiritual setting. Right, we live in a world that's convincing or trying to convince us that all things are only physical. We're physical beings, maybe with some emotions. That's what we are. We're physical beings and we've got some emotions. But if evil has to do with an evil overlord who's a personality, a, a being that exists, who has a will, and who makes decisions, well then we don't just live in a physical universe where things like the laws of gravity are at work. There's something else at work in the world that we live in. Second thing it does is it messes with the self-help world that we live in. Right? We live in a world that when it looks out at things, it sees stuff that needs to get fixed. But you fix natural problems one way, you fix spiritual problems a different way. So when, when you're listening to the news, when you're listening to the debates and the presidential issues, everybody's addressing a problem. There's a problem out there. Right? And so the message is this. There's a problem out there that we need to take our tools to and turn some bolts on and tighten a few things down and move a couple of things over. And then we're going to fix this problem in the world. So, listen, if we could just get education where it needs to be in this world. Right? If we could just get people to be more educated, 
then we could solve all kinds of problems. And, and, you know, out there, there's some people breaking the rules. So maybe law enforcement, we need some good ideas on law enforcement. We need good laws and we need good ideas on law enforcement on how to bring better police protection. I mean, how many, have, you, have you heard any discussions on needing to increase the police activity in the city of New Orleans? Uh, that we just, we need to recruit more policemen. We need to fix it. Oh, the, right, this is over and over again. It's an attempt to find something out there that if we can just make that setting better and more ideal, then we can deal with the problem of evil. But if I'm an expert in the Bible, I remember that there was this one setting that couldn't have been more ideal. It was a place called the Garden of Eden. There was no corruption. Evil was not even understood. It sat inside a tree somewhere. The knowledge of good and evil. Perfect setting, ideal, nothing like what you and I experience. Created by God. God called it good. So out there was a great setting until the serpent showed up and brought with him evil. And that setting got turned upside down, didn't it? Now, does it make sense to you that, that in this world where evil has gone amok and gone crazy... There's this idea that if we, can, if we can just turn the right screws out there, create the right ideas out there, and fix what's out there, we can deal with evil. And everybody's going to panic over the right presidential candidate getting elected. Oh my gosh, if this one gets elected, oh, there's no hope of overcoming evil then. Person's evil personified. Simmer down. It'll be okay. I know it looks horrible, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it'll be entertaining, if nothing else. <laughs> I do have to remind myself that I live in a state that actually had Edwin Edwards and David Duke as your choices. <laughs> Remember that? So it's like apparently it's spreading. It's no longer a state issue. It's like a national issue now. But here's what's interesting in the Bible. The Bible depicts evil. Really, the Bible depicts our life as a relational thing. You and I are related to someone. Right? I'm going to shock some people here, but I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Okay, so don't, don't freak out on me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You know that really cool guy, Jesus? Everybody thinks he was cool. He walked around, you know, sandal feet, loved everybody, hippie. Remember him? He said stuff. I don't know if you've ever read what he said. It's, it's usually in red letters in a lot of, to get our attention. But he said stuff, and some of the stuff that he said was really kind of different. Right, so he highlighted something. He made people aware that ultimately, what's ultimate about your life is who you're related to. Well, who are we related to as human beings? Well, here's the great mistake that most human beings make. They want to assume that we're all, quote, children of God. So therefore, God is our father. So we pull out things like our Father who art in heaven, and we, you know, we say, hey, that's, that's my prayer right there. Our Father in heaven. That's me talking to my Father. 
he's, he's my dad. That's who I'm related to. All right, well, you know, the Bible is actually picking that prayer up and handing it to a defined group of people and, and giving them permission to call upon God and call him their father. It's not, and this is the mistake people make. They, they read the Bible as though anybody and everybody applies these scriptures exactly all the same way. Right? So I'm not trying to freak you out here. I'm just, if you just read the Bible, there is a group of disciples that Jesus is instructing them, them who have a relationship with God, that they can now call God their father. Now, but Jesus had another crowd gathered around him in John chapter 8, and he had something very different to say to them. He didn't describe them as referring to God as their father. You can go back and read this, John chapter 8, verse 43. He spoke to them and he said, why do you not understand what I say? He says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my, you can't stand it, to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. Right now, I know this sounds like, does this just sound like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Well, I'm just quoting the Bible. The Bible actually does say we are all spiritually related to someone. And it's not always God who is our father. And this issue of evil, it's a lot deeper than we thought. Because I'd love to say that evil is out there, all those evil people out there. I'd love to join you in that. But the Bible locates evil, and I want to locate it this morning. Before we, maybe next week, next week we'll deal with the evil out there. But this morning, can we all stand together and deal with the evil that's in here? Because this is how the Bible describes evil in us, right? Here's the, here's the epidemiology of evil, right? The ancestry, if you will, of evil. A couple of quick thoughts in here. One, evil existed in an unknown and forbidden realm at some point, right? We go back to the garden. There is this thing, no one really understands it because you don't have the knowledge of good and evil to be able to grapple with evil and fully come to grips with it. God does, but he has tucked away that knowledge in a forbidden place and he's stuck it in this tree somehow and he has said, don't eat of that. Stay innocent of that. Don't get involved in that. And of course, that didn't last long, right? So at one point, evil wasn't roaming all about. It was over there in the tree. Well, once it got let out of the tree, it spreads like an all-consuming and obsessive virus. Genesis chapter 3, we are in the garden. Three short chapters later, Genesis chapter 6 reads like this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man, yes, the Bible can use the word wicked. It's not a polite word, but it is a word. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You think the Zika virus is bad. You think Ebola is bad. We've gone three short chapters from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6 and the human heart has become infected and infested where its thoughts are continually evil all the time. And this is where we find it, right? Genesis 8, verse 21, a little bit later, the intention 
of man's heart is evil from his youth. How's that for a bumper sticker? You want to put that one on your car? <laughs> the, the intentions of my heart have been evil from my youth. Pass at your own risk. I don't know. <laughs> this is a description of us. When this evil got let out of the tree, it roamed its way into the earth. But it thrives inside the human heart. That's where you find evil growing. Psalm 55 verse 15. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. All the way into the New Testament, Mark chapter 7. Verse 20, Jesus in his sandaled feet, he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This is like this is like a label go nuts, isn't it? Boom, 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 evil, adultery. Uh, uh. So the Bible has no problem stating clearly that's what that is. You want to know what that is? Boom, it's adultery. It's not your significant other. Boom, it's adultery. That's what it is. And I know that doesn't feel right today, does it? It's not the world we live in. Which raises a question. Who gets to define what evil is? The nation of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil gets its definition from the Lord. He is the one labeling these things. And he's also telling us where it comes from. Verse 23. All these evil things. So every one of those things sit underneath one umbrella. Every one of those things are evil things as far as God is concerned. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Where does, where does all this evil come from? It comes from within. It comes out of the heart of men. Why does somebody take a gun to school, open fire on students? Why does... Why does somebody shoot strangers that don't even know them? All this evil comes from within. How do you fix that? If you listen to the politicians a little bit too much, they've got a way to fix it. And it's got nothing to do with the heart of man. It's about putting up fences and creating laws and punishing and crime and educating. We'll just give people the right piece of information and they'll stop doing these things. Oh, really? Have you, have you traced the epidemiology of evil back to its source? Do you understand how it's operating in this world today? How it's operating in human hearts today? This is an interesting quote. I used it last week from John Piper commenting about sin and temptation by John Owen. He says, as I look across the Christian landscape, I think it's fair to say concerning sin 
They have healed the wound of my people lightly. The depth and complexity and ugliness and danger of sin in professing Christians is either minimized, since we're already justified, or, listen, psychologized as a symptom of woundedness rather than corruption. A symptom of woundedness. What is woundedness about? It's about being wounded. It's about what you did to me. It's about what society did to me. It's about what culture did to me. It's about what race did to me. It's about whatever did to me. It's not about the corruption inside of me. It's about what you did. It's about your spouse didn't do right, and your children didn't do right, and the government's not doing right. It's victimization run amok. What's the real heart? What's the real problem? Is it corruption from within here? Or is it all you people need to learn to behave right around me? Listen, I'd much rather blame you, quite honestly. I'd much rather everybody in my life is the person who's making my life stumble, do the wrong thing, have the wrong attitude, take the wrong actions. Yeah, I did that, but he did, or I grew up a certain way, or I didn't have the same opportunities that somebody else had. That's all woundedness. And you heal woundedness differently than you heal corruption. Corruption needs a deliverer. Woundedness just needs a new set of senses, a couple of ideas, change a few things around us. Michael Horton, in his book, The Christian Faith, says, thinking that, this is speaking of Adam and Eve, when, when they jumped into the world of evil, says, thinking that their problem was merely shame rather than guilt, Adam and Eve covered themselves with loincloths. And ever since, we have found ourselves incapable, or rather unwilling, to accept the radical diagnosis of our own depravity. We could talk about evil outside of us, the others, whoever they may be, evil places, structures, forces, and principles. But like the religious leaders whom Jesus challenged, we refuse to locate evil within ourselves. a real problem with evil it's inside of us it's an infection that goes straight to the human heart and takes up its life there my kids are going to criticize me after this message because I'm going to quote from Lord of the Rings again <laughs> they say dad is that like the only movie you know do you need to know more than that one? All that there is about life can be revealed there. All right, here's this great moment in the Lord of the Rings where the, the ring, this, this powerful temptation, is corrupting one person after another. And they're, they're all beginning to take on these evil attitudes and actions. And Frodo begins to be aware, the ring bearer, he begins to be aware that I'm not safe around anyone. And Aragon, his sworn protector, promises, as Frodo begins to be afraid of Aragon, Aragon promises Frodo, Frodo, I, I would protect you to the end. And Frodo asks him this question, can you protect me from yourself? Aragon, you are well-intended, but you have no idea what's inside of you. Can you protect me from that? 
Because that's what evil is like. It's in every one of us, lurking inside of every one of us. How do you fix that? Well, you fix it very differently than you fix woundedness. Wounding just means I need to take the weapons away from other people and other things. But if my heart is corrupted by evil and it's inside of me, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, whether you're treating me nice or not, I've got an evil agenda growing in me like a virus. How do you deal with that? Well, there's only one person who could ever deal with that. And it's Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus teaches his disciples, you guys are going to need to look outside yourselves and you're going to need to look to God to provide a deliverer. Deliver us from evil. God, you're going to have to do this. And God does. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God invades and delivers us from evil. Now, let me give you these few thoughts here before we close. Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. What, what, what are these sinful passions? They are the evil desires that are at work inside of us. They are corrupt things that we want and we want it bad. Just pick your category and find out what it is that you want bad enough to go to war against whatever to have it. How do we deal with that? Well, Romans 7, followed by Romans 8, verse 3 says, Well, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In verse 9, he says, you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, which means some may not, right? This is not a statement for everyone. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For, for everything's relational, remember we said that earlier. So if he doesn't belong to Christ, who does he belong to? are of your father, the devil. You have a different spirit about you and in you. The devil who was consumed with furthering his own interests at the expense of God's, that's the spirit that was in him, it is in you as well. And it just waits for the right moment for evil to spring forth in our hearts. Unless the spirit of God is in us, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, this is one of those moments when you read the Bible and you have to honestly come to some conclusion. Are there any options out there besides Christ? Because I know in the, in the land of plurality, there's a lot of other religions out there. Aren't we supposed to tolerate them and validate them somehow and make room for them? All right, well, tell me how you do that. There's this condition in every human heart called evil. It is in us. How do you fix that? What's your remedy, Islam, to fix that? What's your remedy, Buddhism, to fix that? At the end of the day, every religion has the same remedy. It is human effort underneath the banner of some ideas. Every religion is that. Human effort underneath the banner of ideas. We just change the ideas. Okay, no, it's not Muslim ideas. It's Buddhist ideas. It's not Buddhist ideas. It's cultural Catholicism's ideas. It's not, what is it for you? If at the end of the day, it's human effort, it falls into what Paul says right here. For God has done something. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Do you understand the law is just a set of ideas? And the law wasn't the problem. It was weak human flesh that tried to pick the law up and run with it to fix itself. The Bible says it'll never happen. You cannot do it. Your flesh is too weak. It's too corrupted. You will never do it. Well, great. Then what, what do we do then? Well, God did something. He sent his son in the likeness of flesh to die a death, to put death into sin and destroy it. He did something that is the only thing that can be done. It's not about reforming everything around us. It's not about getting everybody to behave and getting the right social programs in place. This is about curing the evil that's inside the human heart. And the only way to do that is by what Jesus Christ did. So that, now listen, Jesus did something that brings about something else. And you can't leave either one of these out. How am I going to deal with the evil corruption that's still existing in this human condition of mine? Well, what Jesus did thrust open the door for the Spirit of God to return to live inside of me. So that now, by the Spirit, I can put these evil deeds to death. What the Bible said before was you can't in your flesh. Now your flesh can find motives to choose one set of behavioral ideas over another. Listen, you can do that. Right? You can say please and thank you. You learn that pretty early, right? You don't have to be born again to do things that look really nice and good. Don't get confused by this. But the reason why you do those nice and good things is all about self-preservation, self-advancement, something that's not good because it's not for the glory of God. It's about me. And if I just learn to be nice, I stroke the right people to get what I want. Okay, well, that's very different than what this is describing. God did something in the person of Jesus Christ so that a new life could come to take up its place inside of us.
And that life would overthrow this evil virus growing inside of every human heart. But what if Jesus had never come and done that? Well, then you and I would have no hope. See, because the evil that is within us, it's horrible evil. It's powerful evil. It, it is why the evening news looks the way it does. When you and I lift up our eyes and we see this world, we are seeing evil on the march. But it, it started marching from within the heart of men. This idea that, well, you, you, know, you just have to find the good in everyone. Listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to say, don't ever lend anybody a compliment. Don't ever say anything nice about people. You know, and, hey, that's, that, that kid's really smart. Don't say that. Well, he's really talented. No, he's not. He's evil. You know, I'm not saying it's, that's what you're supposed to sound like. But it is, a, it is a ridiculous inaccuracy to hype something that sounds like this really good inside of people and then to stare out at the world and try and figure out, well, why is this so stinking broken? Was it the school system that's causing all these kids to shoot each other? No, I just read the Bible. There is horrible evil <clears throat> inside of the heart of man that's quite capable of coming up with its own reasons to shoot another person. But, but here's what's really humbling for us. We'll, we'll deal with the evil out there next week. Here's what's really humbling for us. That same evil is inside of us. And it will be there until we get glorified bodies and we get out of this place. And, and here's, here's what I, you know, Eric, you can go ahead and come. Here's what I, I, I don't, please, I, let me not be this kind of a church. You know, it's political season. It's a war of ideas. It's the rights against the wrongs. The right ideas and the wrong ideas and the people who represent them, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Christians posture ourselves in sometimes the most obnoxious ways to deal with this stuff. Because we have figured out that's evil over there. And we can snarl at it and point at it, gather in a huddle, you with me on that? That's, oh, I just want to throw up. Isn't that so evil over there? While we're divorcing each other and, and pornography problems are all over the place and we're so greedy for the next thing that we can't possibly give anything in the offering. Are you kidding me? The evil's over there? Really? It's just out there. That's all we need to be taught. That's those stinking evil people who say this and do that out there. Really? Have y'all been to counseling lately? <laughs> You're capable of some pretty good evil yourself, aren't you? See, there's a reason why the Bible continues to tell Christians that you're going to need to, by the Spirit, put these deeds to death because they're still around. And if they're still around in me, who has seen the glory of God and who has figured out the whole reason for this earthly ball and existence here is to know this God, to be intimately connected with him, to surrender our lives to him, to follow him wherever. If I've figured that out and yet I'm going to have to fix something evil that I do next week, 
that I, more than the people out there, have grounds for humility in my life. Because I know a lot more than they do. And I have seen something much more glorious. And yet I am still full of evil stuff. Does this mean we don't deal with the evil that's out there? Oh, no, we deal with it. We should deal with it. And we'll talk about some more of it next week. But you can't talk about that evil out there and be unaware of the evil that's in here. It makes the church sound obnoxious. Stop making us sound obnoxious. If anybody knows what evil is and how bad it stinks, it's us. And unfortunately, I smell me before I smell you, if I'm being honest. Now, we do need to deal with evil that's in this world. But we start by recognizing the evil that's still in us. That's why Jesus teaches his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Father in heaven, deliver us from evil. Let's stand up together. just get quiet and turn your listening ear I hope you've already been listening for what the Lord is saying to you but turn more in this moment to hear God speaking to you speaking about you what what do you need this morning in this area what is God intentionally wanting to bring to your awareness this morning. You may be here this morning. You have become aware that the description of your own heart includes a much less than flattering condition. your own honesty, you're able to say, I see the selfishness and the evil of my motives, why I do things that I do, what I've lived for. I'm not just a person who's been wounded by others. I responded. I chose those words. I said those things. I took those actions. And some no one's ever even known about. So I see better today that there is an evil that's in me. Jesus saw the evil in our hearts and he came in the form of human flesh. So that he could take upon himself our brokenness, the stuff that just doesn't work right in us, what's corrupted. He took it upon himself 
He stood before God and he said, God, aim right here and kill it. Right here. Take it out. He went to a cross. And God took lethal action against evil and sin. And then God made this pronouncement to the world. What Jesus came to do can be yours. If you will repent and put your faith in Christ and what he did. If you're here this morning, you've not done that. Your only hope, the only thing that can rescue you, the only thing that can fix what's broken on the inside. The powerful existence of evil is what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. What we could not do, God has done. But it doesn't do you any good if you don't put your faith in what he's done. It doesn't do you any good if you don't repent and turn to what he's done and surrender your life to what he's done and come into agreement with God. And you can do that this morning. You can do that right now. You put words to those feelings that are in your heart. You can tell God, God, I agree with you. Tell him that right now if you want to. God, I agree with you. I know I've sinned against you. I know I've acted selfishly. I know I've hurt you and I've hurt others. This morning, I turn away from those things and those attitudes to my own selfishness and pride. And God, I turn to you. I need you. I confess that today. I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to restore me to you. And I need you to give me that life that was described this morning, the life of your spirit to live in me. Would you do that this morning? God, would you do that for me? This morning, would you come now and dwell in me in a life that I'm giving back to you, Lord? It's your life. Do with it as you will. I'll follow you from this day forward. If you've never done that before this morning, you can do that in a moment of belief and faith. And Jesus Christ will forgive your sins and he will come by the Spirit to take up his life inside of you to change the way evil affects your life forever. You may be here this morning. You have lowered your guard against evil. You have lowered your guard. begin to touch and dabble in evil. Evil will go viral on you. It's not, it doesn't take too long to go from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6. It doesn't take long for that to happen in your heart. Have you stopped guarding your heart from evil? The Bible says that by the Spirit we are called to put these evil deeds to death. I'm going to ask you this morning, when was the last time you got hostile and violent against evil deeds in your own heart? 
When's the last time you said to the wickedness that wants to break out inside your heart? When's the last time you said, you are done? You are done. This is your last day. I'll die before you go any farther. Or have you just begun to accommodate evil? Have you just made room for it? Have you stopped fighting? Have you gotten worn out and gotten friendly? As long as evil stays on that side of the room, you stay on your side. Listen, you can't have evil as a roommate. It'll go viral on you. You'll find yourself doing things you never imagined you would. I'd like to to do this this morning. I'd like to ask the Spirit of God to awaken in you a new sheriff in town. One who's going to round up evil, go after it with a posse and take it down. Not accommodate it, not make room for it anymore. So I want to pray for you this morning. If that's where you are, you are needing God's power to come upon your life. We're going to pray for you to experience the power of God to put these deeds to death. So if you'd like to be prayed for, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and come forward. We're going to ask for the Spirit of God. That's who has to do this ministry. He's got to do this work. This is not self-determination. This is the same prayer that begins with appealing to a father and being aware that daily needs have to come from God ends with an awareness that deliverance has got to come from the father too. So this morning we want to pray for you to experience God delivering you from evil that's been hanging around for too long. So if that's you, Come on up this morning. Let God meet with you. Jesus told his disciples to pray in this category. To stand before the Father and say, Father, deliver me from evil. Deliver me, God. Rescue me. Fix me from this evil. It's a disciple's prayer. If you're a disciple, then you might have to pray this prayer sometimes. This is, this is not a moment for you to be making a deal right now. Making a deal. You taking evil out of here with you? Or are you taking up weapons against it? You're going to make that decision. You want to take evil with you out of here? You really want that as a roommate? You want to go another step and live another day? being a Bible expert, but being biblically ignorant and thinking, I'm, I'm safe. It'll stay in Genesis chapter 3. Putting evil and sin to death by the Spirit is, let's say it's multidimensional. It's going to involve ongoing agreement with the Spirit, but it involves the Spirit. 
involves the power of the Spirit. One of the things that we believe in is the power of the Spirit coming in moments when we need Him to come. So I want to ask some folks if you would come forward and lay hands on these guys who are standing here and pray for the Holy Spirit to come with power in their lives. I believe we can pray for one another, be filled with the Spirit. Right? I don't know what you do with that term, filled with the Spirit, but if you take and fill with the Spirit and stuck it in one category and say, being filled with the Spirit, that's about spiritual gifts. Now, being filled with the Spirit is about being filled with the Spirit. It's about being filled with it. Whatever the Spirit does, the Spirit has dominance in our lives to do it. So can we pray for folks to be dominated by the power of the Spirit so that evil meets a new sheriff in the coming days. Lord, what great news is in Romans chapter 8, words that we just read, they announce something to us, a breaking in of something that displaces what has been. Lord, we, we love the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
God, I thank you that we don't have to live under the weight of feeling condemned by our failures. But Lord, this verse moves on and offers further good news. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. There really is a new sheriff in town. And the laws that governed us and ruled us from the past are over. He has met those laws and he has overthrown them and he has come with new laws. And these are the laws of liberty, the laws of life, the laws of freedom, which now announce to you that if you, by the Spirit, put these deeds to death, that means we can do it, God. This is good news. God, whatever came forward this morning, whatever in life that's been hanging around, making false proclamations that it was never going anywhere, that it was going to continue to be in control, that it would keep on writing the script for their life day after day, Lord, that was put to an end by what you did. And a new day has come, and the law of liberty by the Spirit now takes up its life inside of us. Lord, that's the reality. Lord, is there evil in this world? Yes, there is, but there's a greater power in us than he that is in the world. The evil one in this world has met its match in the one who crushed his head when he went to the cross and he died in our place and he removed the barrier that sin had created that the spirit of God may now dwell in us. Lord, your life has returned to our life. Lord, what liberty has come with that life. So Lord, would you make a pronouncement in our heart? Would you bring Holy Spirit-given determination? God, would you serve some eviction notices this morning that your, your time here in my life is over. It's done. The power of the Spirit of God is at work with me and in me. And I will continue to do what this verse says. I will continue to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Well, there's a greater headline in this world. We are aware of evil. It is everywhere around us. But God, there's a greater headline that we have to be experts in. An awareness of the God who delivers. Lord, thank you for turning our attention from an awareness of evil to an awareness of a father who delivers his children from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys this week.